I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. Great to be with you. Good after evening, Seth. I don't know what time it is. I'm always tempted to say good morning, good evening, but I'm trying not to. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Good pre-evening. Good pre-evening. Let's just think of all the pleasantries we can exchange. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think we covered them all. (laughs) I guess so. Not... (laughs) Never mind. Okay. I have a question for you. Kind of. It's a quote. It is a question, but it's a kind. It is a kind question. Of. This is it literally is a question, thing. It's a little different than our regular question. Oh no! What is happening? We're falling apart. <laughs> okay, what would you do in this particular situation? You have to identify with a liturgical season. Which liturgical season would you identify with? Which liturgical season represents disappointment the most? Ouch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I guess, was trying to okay. do something different. I was trying to mix it up. I know. I'm sorry. My reaction... I don't... Okay, I don't, okay I don't, Lent. What? Is it okay, Lent? <laughs> I guess so. I guess my mood is real play, playing real Lent tonight. You know, like... Gotta feel bad about myself. Gotta... <laughs> Gotta remind myself that I am uh, from dust and to dust I will return. No, I'm sorry because I don't want to react that way and squelch your creativity. I appreciate your creativity, Seth, and I encourage you to keep doing this in the future, even if I react like a butt. <laughs> okay, so I think based on my current mood, I would say Lent, but if I was talking about a more ideal time, I think I would choose Advent. Mm. Because I like mm. the way Advent reorients my attention and my energy. I become more aware of things that are going on around me, and I think it's one of the times of the year that I feel the clearest sense of expectancy, of anticipation. Not always hope, but at least of expectancy and, and anticipation. <laughs> Uh, just looking forward to ways that God can show up in surprising ways. Hmm. I, see, I turned it around. That was nice. Yeah, Started was off nice. with my butthead answer, and then I gave you a real one. What about you? I'm curious to hear your answer. Okay. I've been thinking about this. I think I'm going to have to go. This is this is with everyone's least favorite season. The time... After Pentecost. Ordinary <laughs> or time. Ordinary time. <laughs> or ordinary time. 
just because I think that 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 time is misunderstood. Not that I'm misunderstood. But that's a just wait, but that's an important time <laughs> that sits in the background that doesn't get a lot of credit. But it's but ordinary time makes up more than half of the church calendar. Like it's it's a huge part of it. It's very important in the overall structure. And it's just it's just about the slow and steady growth okay. of people's faith and trust. That's what I think I I, okay. I epitomize. Just, just saying you could have picked any of them, but you went with ordinary time. Yeah, that's a good Seth, one. I think you're extraordinary time. Wow. Should we start um, should we start calling ordinary time extraordinary time? Yeah. Just to be I think so. Buttheads. We're again. in ordinary time right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever stuff is dated by how many weeks it is after something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what an interesting segue into our scripture for today. I'm I'm excited to see where our conversation goes from here. Same. <laughs> you know it's good when the person who's the not expert is like, same. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, this will be great. Okay, can I read the passage for us? I would love that. And this is Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Hmm. Okay, before I, before I react too strongly, went with the new no, international... No, I want to know about why you chose the new international version. Okay, this isn't groundbreaking because I want to hear I want to hear you react. Okay, uh, but first, I think it just does a good job separating this into three parts that our listeners can't see. I think even in your reading, you did a good job of differentiating kind of well the three sections that Paul's laid out here. So I think that was one reason, and also I try not to look at the headings in my Bibles because they're they're added much later by the translators. So I think that they're largely unhelpful, except here. The NIV says Paul is called by God. 
And we often talk about Paul's conversion, but I don't think that that's quite the way to think about it. I think that his call is a much more accurate way to think about it in its in its kind of historical context, which I like that the NIV puts that into our head maybe right before we read this passage. So I thought that was good too. So with that, give me your just blunt reaction. So my initial reaction as I finish that is to quote the great and legendary Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation when he says of Pawnee City Councilman Jeremy Jam, he looks like he could use a swift punch in the face. <laughs> I am just so irritated at Paul. That, like, I, I know I'm reading this into it. I get it. And I'm sure you have some things to, ex- to explain some of this. But man, does Paul read as really self-important, you know, I, I didn't receive the gospel. It, you know, the gospel I preached isn't human. It's I didn't receive it from any person, nor was I taught it. I received it from Jesus directly. Like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like, I understand that because you weren't part of the original 12, you've got to, like, stand up for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know, there's something oh so grating to me about this passage and i don't know why i'm reacting so strongly to it i think one of the things that makes me kind of react strongly is the way that i prize humility and this doesn't really seem like it has anything to do with humility right like yeah like paul thinks he's amazing he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers and he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age, right? Like, he thinks he's pretty great. And he's just laying it out right at the beginning of his letter to the Galatians. Like, he's basically just said hello before this. Right. And then he's like, okay, here's my CV. Like, look how, <laughs> look how good I am. Like, I, I, think I, I think that's part of my own reaction, too, is that there's this level of not just valuing humility, but also having it conditioned in me that thinking highly of yourself and thinking that your accomplishments are significant is not a good, not a Christian thing to do. It's not, you know, as Paul writes elsewhere, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. It's not thinking highly of yourself at all. And that distinction is important. This still feels like it's pushing that boundary a little bit. The last few verses just feel a little bit contradictory too. Like, I didn't go to Jerusalem to see the other apostles until I went to Jerusalem. And then, and then three years and spent, three and spent years, two weeks with, weeks with Cephas or Peter. Um, and, and then I said, I didn't see anyone else. Well, except James. Like, like <laughs> why would you say that you didn't see anyone else? I, I just, I, I don't think I can wrap my head around why Paul receiving the good news directly from Jesus and not from the other apostles is so important to him. Like, is it truly Mm -hmm. just a, I want to justify myself as an apostle, someone who encountered Jesus directly and not just someone else who's receiving it second or third hand from them. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you know either, but I am not understanding why that distinction is so valuable to him. (laughs) Yeah. And, 
and honestly, I'm not sure either. I always thought it was it was what you had, you had talked about that he wants to identify with with the uh, these kind of original apostles, and he wants to draw a line, right? Not through them. That's like a sort of like hierarchy. Yeah. But like straight to Jesus. But like why he would want to do that. And I'm just wondering if that would lend him credibility to me or if I would be even more suspicious. Right. Well, I'm even thinking like, about that in the context of being among the Galatians, right? Like yeah, what yeah. what is going on that he felt the need to be so upfront with this and that he felt the need to them specifically to make this connection, you know, kind of trace his lineage directly to Jesus, his spiritual lineage at least, rather than including the apostles in it, other than bunking up with Peter and apparently James, even though he didn't see anyone else. But <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering if there's any other parts of the stories about the Galatians specifically that might demonstrate why he was so upfront about these different things. So I wonder if at the beginning when he's writing these letters, if there's more of a need to kind of say who he is, to claim his authority, than at the end, right, when he's been around the block a little more, after he's written more letters and they've been circulated more often, and his name spreads, if that is less important. Like, I don't think Elon Musk sends his CV to anyone anymore. Like, they just know it, right? You're just like, oh, you're Elon Musk. Yeah. Okay, like, that's cool. That was kind of a random example. Well, I think that's, you know, you're kind of at the opposite end of that. Talk about us now, too. You know, we're, if we're reaching out to someone or sending in a job application, you know, you do have to, in your cover letter, kind of stand up for who you are. Yeah, exactly. And say, what what gives me the credibility to think I'm qualified for this job or this role? And I know, especially in a situation where I'm working among, on a college campus, mm -hmm. folks who have been in their roles for, you know, decades like longer than i've been alive mm -hmm. there is this sense of needing to kind of prove yourself and kind of fight off that that nagging sense that you really don't belong in the seat that you actually have yeah it's like a, an interesting issue of power too like right hmm. i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i saw it on twitter which is a great place to get ideas i guess but sometimes it's hard for me to think about, like, okay, this took place in 53. He writes this in 53. And Paul's conversion is, like, maybe, like, 35. So, like, what's happened in the meantime? Like, how long has that been? So, it's, like, about 15 years. So, that's when Photograph by Nickelback came out. Like, that's how I've been thinking about, like, okay... Like, he's recounting an event that happened 15 years ago. It's like me recounting an event that happened when Photograph <laughs> came out. It just helps me think about yeah. time periods in the Bible. If I try and, like, relate it to songs, that's really what I'm trying to get at, I guess. And it almost feels like, well, even, you know, just talking in in retrospect, right, or in hindsight... You're always going to clean things up. You're going to piece things together a little differently. You're going to make sense of them in a way that you might not have made sense of at the time or might not have been able to make sense of at the time. You know, even talking about in this story, what, the 
time of his entire childhood and his, you know, his adulthood. And, you know, then there's a distinction of three years yeah. time within the yeah. story itself. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on in his memory and recounting. Yeah. I wonder what that, what effect that has, that dynamic you mentioned of him looking back so far has on him retelling it in the moments when he was writing this. Yeah, he seems to leave out a lot of the stuff that happens in Acts, at least. Like, he doesn't go blind in here, right? He's just like, yeah. like he gets the news and he conveniently leaves that part out. Okay, since we had such a visceral reaction to Paul's ego, maybe we... Maybe that's what we want to talk about. I haven't really thought about this. But like maybe we want to talk about what humility looks like and what how egos can be detrimental and like what is the pro- the appropriate way to think about our successes. That's kind of those are some big questions. I think we often talk, start with some big questions and then it like goes somewhere fruitful. So with that, is there anybody in your life or maybe you just know about them that you think really embodies humility? When I think about humility, I think about... Okay, so he's been on my mind a lot lately. And maybe it's because of the comparison to his predecessor or soon-to-be predecessor. But honestly, Joe Biden is a person who I think of as a relatively humble guy and i want to be clear about what i mean by humble i think joe biden knows who he is like he doesn't he doesn't have any qualms or misconceptions about who he is and what he's accomplished and he's willing to stand up for that when that may be challenged and And I'm speaking in such broad generalities because I know you and I both know of examples where he doesn't meet these criteria, but he's just like coming to mind. He also has a real sense of compassion and empathy where he can listen to another human being, even though he's about to be president of the United States. Like, I feel like if he was in the room and listening to me talk about an issue, he would actually be be concerned about me having that Mm -hmm. issue. Now, whether or not that's reality or not, I'm not sure, because I haven't sat down and told Joe Biden all my problems. <laughs> but the fact that I have that perception, and again, to compare that with his soon-to-be predecessor, it's just like, it's just so so stark a contrast that I might be seeing those characteristics a little more strongly in him. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that he does... I mean, we saw this in his acceptance speech when they called the election for him. He is so willing to lift other people up. And not just in a way that's like thanking them for their support of him, but a realization that he could not be where he is without all sorts of people. uh, And naming them specifically and thanking them and continuing to work with them and collaborate with them. I don't know. He is not the perfect example in many ways, but his humility has been striking to me as a notable change in tone from leader of our country. Yeah, that's a great example. I wonder, I only only know kind of a broad sketch of his life, 
But I wonder if just like how some of the hardships in his life have formed that humility. I'm trying to think of him like talking about like him even bragging. I guess like the de- like debates are kind of always the time for yeah. you to brag. I think that was one of the biggest but, one of the biggest hesitations was him taking a taking a lot of individual credit for work that he didn't do yeah. by himself in 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 those in those conversations, which kind of challenges the other things that I was saying about him. And at the same time, I think I'm also pretty hard pressed to think of other examples because as I understand humility, there aren't a ton of people who are really in the public eye. Yeah, yeah. All that much. Yeah, that, true. <laughs> that that really embrace that because they kind of it kind of goes against you know just having a very confident but not overconfident sense of self thinking you know thinking of yourself as you ought to right as being worthy and valuable but also thinking of yourself as human someone who makes mistakes someone who needs and relies on others you know it's it's those that balance right of realizing there is so much that i can do and so much that i can't and it's hard to think of folks who consistently put themselves in you know the public's the public limelight, uh, who embrace that <laughs> yeah, kind of mentality. True. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's not like who is on the cover of magazines and stuff that you see like at the supermarket. The, like all the anybody who's famous at all, right? Is, right. Tends to not be real humble. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how. The line between hubris and humility can can be so sharp. Have you have you ever met someone who you think that their hubris masquerades as humility? Oh yeah, yeah, same. And I like when I meet these people, which I'm fortunate where I don't think I know a lot of them, but I I have like a difficult time determining why I see that in them right Does that, i don't know it's the line like, from amish paradise by weird owl right where it's <laughs> think you're really righteous think you're pure at heart well i know i'm a million times as humble as thou art yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah like, exactly. <laughs> well and and i don't know seth you might you might have encountered this too but one of the most profound things i think has come about from my kind of the diversification of my theological sources has been kind of the challenging of this idea that inflated sense of self is the co- the crux of what is broken about mm-hmm. the human condition and in reality it is a inaccurate sense of self whether or not we think because of our position in privilege we are more than we are or whether it is because of our position and lack of privilege that we think we are less than we are. That's the good news that Paul was talking about that he received from Jesus, is that Mm -hmm. there is a correction, there is a alternative way besides the ways that have been carved for us, either by our ancestors or by others' ancestors who beat our ancestors down. Um, Hmm. And I don't speak about my ancestors in that latter example. And that, that to me is, is really profound too, because our sense of self is never isolated, 
right? It, it is mm-hmm. always in, in relationship to and in connection with one another. You may have seen this quote recently coming around, uh, emerging again from Toni Morrison. Uh, and I have it up here to read. Uh, she writes, if you can only be tall because someone else is on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And white people mm-hmm. have a very, very serious problem. And Morrison here, in identifying the ways that we relate to each other and the sense of self that we hold, especially as it relates, or especially considering the view of self that white people often have compared to folks who are not white, there's a real disconnect between who God says that we are and who we purport ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. And in these situations where we constantly hold others down, where we only can reach for accomplishment on the backs and shoulders of those who we trample to the ground on the way, we frame our, you know, the struggle for self-achievement, for, for accomplishment as a zero-sum game where I can only make progress if no one else is. Mm-hmm. When there really is another way. Yeah that way where we are both holding ourselves up high and also holding our neighbors up with us too and reaching together, accomplishing together. Hmm. Do you think, sorry, I keep just, I keep phrasing these questions. (laughs) Do you think Paul's doing a little bit of that when he talks about himself and then he brings in Peter and he brings in James Maybe in the slightest bit he is. That's what, yeah, yeah, I was wondering to see. I was trying to give him, that was a generous reading. Yeah. That was a gracious reading of Paul's letter to the Galatians, I think. But, but even even so, Seth, like the, even if his connection to the disciples isn't the most meaningful part of this passage, the reason for this passage to come about, though, is deeply connected to the idea of community being essential, right? Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah. He's writing to a group of fellow believers whom he loves, and he has some harsh words for them in Galatians. <laughs> but yeah, his his realization that his words and his connection to them is something that's important and meaningful, and the fact that he is establishing who he is, I think part of what makes this so challenging to me is that if i were saying these words i'd be disappointed in myself if the even if Hmm, even if these things were true of my story and maybe in reality i'm just jealous of paul's ability to recognize how great of a person he was and be able to talk about it and still now we just think he's a jerk right (laughs) right now (laughs) but how much how much of that is reflective of our own perspectives about humility and pride as broken as they may be rather than what Paul's actually doing. Yeah. Man, when you ask questions about scripture, it always asks questions about you. And I know. I didn't think it was going to get us, but every time we react so negatively (laughs) to a passage, it always turns back around. I didn't think this one was going to do it, but it does. Well, you're right. I thought we were like, we were like escaping it. I love wrestling with Paul. Sometimes I just feel more willing to wrestle with Paul than I do with Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Like just to, just to be blunt, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and at some point, at some point too, Paul feels more relatable, right? Yeah, yeah. Like and someone who's someone who is also trying to figure it out, and also someone who's crafty because you think you're you think you're winning, you think you're winning the wrestling match, and then this comes out of nowhere. Comes, and, <laughs> like, nope, we're still fighting. Like, great. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, with that, should we pray? I think we should. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, in you we see who we are. Untainted by the world's definitions of success and failure. And in you we are both humbled and exalted. Help us to see ourselves rightly as loved, in progress, and in relationship. We pray this through the one who is the perfect balance of hubris and humility, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? We're heading back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. One of my favorites. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.